Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Because I'm fine. Oh, yeah, my, yeah, my, yeah, my. Hello. Welcome to IntelliCast. This is Season 4, Episode 35. My name is Brian Lamar. I work at EMI Research Solutions, who's the sponsor of this uh, episode, this podcast. We appreciate you listening. Joining me today is Jason Enderhees. Hello, Jason. Hello. Thank you for having me back. Brian, yeah. I love the energy in your uh, in your introduction there. It's good stuff. And when he plays me in, the music, it gets me going. <laughs> it really does. Stand up um, and do a little dance. Man, I, I really love that song. So kudos to the listener that... that um, submitted it. Um, Brian, as always, is joining us, as always. Yeah, and always thank you will for saying join us. <laughs> the, thank you for saying this. The last two episodes, for some reason, I, I threw a curveball at Brian. I was like, joining me for now is Brian Peterson. <laughs> and I meant, like, he's joining me for the beginning part of the episode, and then there's, like, an interview later. And Brian Peterson's like, um, are you telling me something I need to know that I need to here next week? Um on a telecast, we're not going to fire you. You're you're employed here forever. It wasn't what? just me who thought that, though. We had a listener email. <laughs> That's true. What a, what an awkward way to be notified. I know. <laughs> Live on a podcast. I wonder the ratings got to go through the roof, though. Yeah. Oh, boy, Brian sure is hinting at something each week on the podcast. It's really weird. That's you know what? That could be a good play to get the uh, listenership up. I, I like it. Smart. Yeah. I know BP I love- probably hates it, but that's all right. Yeah. <laughs> um, I do love the music, and if you have feedback on the music or topics or guests or um, me messing with Brian Peterson, uh, please reach out to us at Intellicast at emi-rs.com. Follow us on Twitter, emi underscore research or Intellicast1, and you can also call or leave a voicemail or text us at 513-401-5463. We don't get nearly enough calls or texts, so please text us, 513-401-5463. Big episode today. We haven't done a news episode in a long time. It's a long agenda, right? I know. Yeah, it's it's been a few weeks. Yeah, and then you get some homework here. I know. This was some prep. Um <laughs> Certainly some prep, and there's kind of a lot going on. I think this is the time of year. There's always a lot of news stories in September, October, and we have, I don't know, a dozen to go through, which are usually I cut one or two. I'm not cutting any of them. So let's just get right to it, I guess, Brian. All right. First up, Ipsos has acquired New Zealand's InfoTools, whose software and services focus on, quote, harmonizing, analyzing, and visualizing and sharing market research data. I'll go first real quick. I love, first of all, I love that they're using the word harmonizing. I think that's the product name is Harmony maybe, but I think we'll see a lot more of this um, as, you know, companies are transforming itself from research companies to really data and insights companies. And this is, I think this is a good acquisition for Ipsos. Um, I'm aware of InfoTools, but I don't know them real well, but this doesn't surprise me at all. I mean, 
analyzing, visualize, visualizing, and sharing market research data, we certainly not. That's not going to slow down, right, Jason? No, 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 not at all. If anything, we're pushing in that direction more and more every day. I, I did find it was interesting to see that they like such a tenured partnership um, ended up, you know, in a buyout or an acquisition. Like they said, they've been. I think they've been working together since two thousand and ten. Yeah, um, you know, just kind of like separate entities. I mean, you never can. Yeah, I mean, I, Ipsos is obviously a giant in the industry, so uh, they seem complementary enough. And, and with that type of history, I'd envision, you know, um, this type of an undertaking or, or acquisition, if you will, would be probably relatively smooth compared to some of the other ones we've witnessed recently. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I love the quote from the InfoTool CEO. It said, "We'll be able to build even further on our three decades of innovation." That's really cool. So um, seems like a really good um, acquisition. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Our next story, Zappy has purchased DataQuorum, the Chicago-based startup that focused on statistical tools. Yeah, it's a pretty similar in some ways acquisition. Um, Zappy, except for you have two historical market research brands. And then now you have two newer brands combining forces. That's really (laughs) the difference. Zappy, relatively new. I guess... I guess I should stop saying that they're new. They've been around for, I guess, a decade now or close to it. Um, and then Data Quorum, which is relatively new, um, two years old, just a three-person team. But it's a similar kind of story, you know, building assets around um, tools and data. Yeah, I was the same boat, uh, Brian. I, I felt like I was reading the... <laughs> The same article over again. I was like, "Wait a minute, hold on." What going back here and double checking? But I, it was it was interesting again to see that this too is you know one of those longer term partnerships as as with regard to how long they've known each other. Anyhow, yes. I think it mentioned that like the folks that were in the leadership positions at Data Quorum were introduced to at least the Zappy team. There was another company, um, Intellection, just over yeah. a decade ago, and they found common ground in that. So. Seems like, um, yeah, seems like an, another similar situation where they're going to be filling a void for Zappy going forward. So very cool. Yeah, I should mention, while well, DataCorn is only two years old, uh, Mayor Beth Lake, who a lot of people know, and David Thomas and Paul Holtzman all have at least 25 years of experience in research. So they're not new to the industry. So they'll be adding a lot of value there. All right. Our next story um, I found interesting because of my previous life in store signage. Uh, Schlesinger Group has launched a life-size virtual shopping aisle, which simulates an in-store shopping experience to gain in-context insights. It is powered by Shopper Insight Specialist Informed Decision Group. Virtual aisle allows researchers to simultaneously test and design options and modify the stimuli. What do you guys think about that? Pretty cool. Um, Schlesinger, they just somehow are in the news every day. And I know there's more news to come with them. Um, and, you know, we've seen, at least here locally, I know that a company has a life-size virtual shopping aisle. Um, this is probably next level of that. But it's really cool. And I'm, I'm really actually excited that Schlesinger is, is investing in this. This has to be super expensive to invest in this. And, you know... 3D interactive touchscreen technology where you can kind of pick up a product and read the label. And it's pretty, it's, it's very um, similar to how you would shop if you wanted to like look at the label and things like you can spin it around. It's really cool stuff. And you can, you can move um, brands around, products around. If you want to put something in the bottom shelf or the top shelf, I've always found it really cool. It's hard to simulate in store and it's also hard for researchers to get in store. And so this really accomplishes that. But again, during the past year and a half, 
um, with qual, at least in-person qual being down. I'm really impressed with the, with the invested in this. I probably took all your talking points, Jason. No, I'm yeah, absolutely in the same boat. I've I've always kind of found this um, this type of qualitative you know research just pretty fascinating, really. I can remember the first time ever going through one of these types of like virtual grocery store aisle environments. And then, I mean, don't get me wrong, this was years ago when we were working with in context solutions. So I'm, I'm probably dating myself a little bit, but the technology was was fascinating then. And I can't imagine what type of you know environments they're building out now. I know they mentioned 3D interactive uh, touchscreen technology. So I'm sure we're getting closer and closer to, you know, that actual shopping experience every day or every, you know, when this innovation comes to, they're just kind of building out. So Schlesinger's obviously made some huge splashes over the past couple of years. And I feel like this falls right in line with the the qual quant kind of complementary pieces that they've been pulling together. Yes. Yeah, so and nice to see a quote from Isaac Rogers, who's a friend of the podcast. Um, he's the Schlesinger CIO. Uh, virtual reality solution expands the portfolio of qualitative res tech. Oh, we used res tech in this quote. I like that. I noticed that. I noticed that. That was good. Yeah. Uh, Patrick Comer will be happy with that. Um, <laughs> help make it smarter, faster, and easier for our clients to capture compelling shopper insights. So good for Schlesinger, man. They just keep investing um, acquisitions and investments like this. That's good for the industry. I have a question for both of you guys on this. So this one, they're talking like 3D and the interactive screens. Is the next step creating one where you like use your like Oculus or something like that, that you can almost do it in your home, but it takes you to that virtual aisle? Is that kind of the next phase? Did I just give out a great idea that someone's going to make millions of dollars on? I think there are actually, that might exist in some form, uh, but yes, I mean, absolutely. You know, you're looking at a virtual aisle and you're kind of standing around looking at a shelf. If you can simulate the entire shopping experience was just what you're talking about, right? You go right. to the produce section and then you wander around to the dairy and you, you know, blah, blah, blah. That's absolutely, that's, and then you could even put planograms. I mean, you can do all kinds of stuff. I'm sure there, that may exist or may not. Um, I don't know, Jason, have you heard about that? I I feel like I've either saw, I, I know I didn't experience, but I definitely saw the the type of, I think, environment BP that you're 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 talking about or you're kind of, bring the light. And I, f- I feel like it does exist, but I don't know who or where or when it came out, but I, I tend to agree with Lammy. I like that's it, it, I, maybe it's a combination of both. I don't know. Before long, there's going to be just somebody like you're going to have the, the eyepiece on, you're not going to be able to see what's in front of you, but somebody's just going to hand you a product and it's, <laughs> they're getting closer to literally holding a product every single day. So it's, uh, it, it's hard to imagine or envision exactly where you go from here. <laughs> Yeah, could you somehow virtually hold it? Right, you know? right. <laughs> yeah. It has the weight and the size of like, and you know, in the picture here, they have Fruit Loops. And like, that would be pretty crazy. I bet it's, we're not far off from that. It's really crazy. Yeah, absolutely. Moving on to our next story. Uh, Disco has appointed David Karp, formerly of Numerator, as their new VP of Customer Success. Now this one, this was interesting. Um, obviously, you know we've got a strong partnership with Disco, and and think they're a fantastic company all around. I mean, if you just look at the person and kind of the history of David Carp himself, it looks like a move that they're really wanting to set themselves up just to grow substantially. Um, I think they currently have 250 to 300 employees, and with David Carp's experience, I mean, he's coming from Numerator, from Mintel, from I think IBM which all have, you know, thousands, if not hundreds of thousands with IBM of employees. 
And, yeah. you know, the article I read also mentioned, um, you know, the recent closure of that 85 million in Series B growth funding. So obviously expecting big things coming from them in the um, in the not so distant future as far as growth is concerned. I completely agree. And um, I think that, you know, Numerator tends to work directly with brands. And I think this is also a step for Disco to get a little bit closer to brands. And I think a lot of moves are being made, not just in the technology and innovation side, but also when you have all this data, you want to be as close to the end user of the data as possible, right? And I think this is a good move for Disco to, to, in order to do that. So and echo everything you said, Jason. Yeah, no, those are great points. Absolutely. It makes sense. All right. Our next couple stories kind of go together. So I'll just do them both. First, Nielsen has lost its accreditation for national and local TV measurement from the Media Ratings Council. And the next day, they had their CEO respond to the recent criticism of the rating giant's COVID-era policies, but also he conceded that the firm needs to move faster in advancing its measurement and was slow to explain panel adjustments and generally hasn't been perfect. This came after they lost that accreditation. What do you guys think about that? No, this is, I mean, it is huge news, you know, for our industry, right? If I think of TV measurement, I think if you ask anybody, you know, the first company that comes to mind is Nielsen. Obviously, that you know, there's likely quite a bit of information that maybe the public isn't privy to here, but undercounting, I think they mentioned undercounting household viewership seems like a pretty reasonable reason to go down this path. Um, I hate to say that, you know, I'm not knocking Nielsen. Obviously, we, you know, I'm not trying to like bring out any negative pieces around them. They're a great company, but it just on paper, it looks like, you know, they're taking the right right approach. I mean, it looks like NBC is leading the way and looking for alternative solutions and alternative uh, vendors to kind of fill that void. Um, it really is crazy, though, to see, you know, this kind of a shift happening to such a giant in the industry, specifically in that space. And then as far as like the response, um, yeah, don't get me wrong. It's like I mentioned in there, it was really good to see, I guess, a response, but I don't know that I, well, I don't know that there is a perfect response. To that. I don't know how I would react. I mean, you're, you're being called out for doing, you know, working basically in the exact opposite direction that people have expected you to. So um, I don't know. I, I found it pretty fascinating. Yeah, this is certainly fascinating. I think this is this is a challenge for the industry. And I don't I am do not dock Nielsen any points for this. I think obviously behaviors around how people watch TV have shifted so much in the past five to 10 years um, with cord cutting and all the different devices. And I think Nielsen's actually done a pretty good job of trying to react to it with their portable people meter. I think it's what they call it, their panelists and the way that they measure it. This is really challenging to do. And Nielsen's been the best, I mean, forever. I mean, basically since TV was invented, <laughs> Nielsen has been awesome at it. Um, so I think this is kind of like a little bit, putting a little bit of pressure on Nielsen to maybe move quicker. Um, it's just, I think it's really hard to do. And I, I bet Brian has a point of view on this as well. I do. Um, I think that, and this is just my opinion, that I think Nielsen was slow on the streaming. So you talked about how TV's changed in the last five to 10 years. It, that change was kind of a slow moving one. Yeah. Except for the last 18 months, you know, you have everything's going back to COVID at this point. We were all locked down in our houses for three months and had nothing to do but to watch TV. So 
everyone was streaming and Nielsen didn't have a response to that. Yeah. And it's not like it came out of nowhere. It was five, six years down the road and they still had no idea how to do it. That seemed, that was a little concerning. Yeah, I could, I could agree with that. That's a, that's a valid point. And I, I think the toughest piece, you know, it, shifting all of this and the article kind of went on to mention this, even after they talked about, you know, the, um, the CEO's response, it, it they have such a stronghold on this specific piece of like that, like the data world or the data industry in general. It, it, I don't know. I find it, Brian, I kind of, I feel like they're going to get like a benefit of the doubt type pass on this just for being, you know, such a, a key player, you know, in that specific piece of the, the industry as a whole, it'd be surprising to see, you know, a huge or immediate shift, but who knows? Yeah. We've, we've seen, we've witnessed a lot of crazy stuff over the past 18 months. So who knows? And, one thing I love about this, you don't often see this. I mean, a concluding apology, I think that is really takes a lot of accountability and ownership of this. You don't often see it. I mean, Nielsen is a giant brand in our industry. And the, the fact that they say right out, we're not perfect. We've been slow. You kind of started it, Jason. We've been slow to explain the health and safety measures we took led to a reduction of our panel size. Blah, blah, blah. You went on and on. We hear and sincerely value this feedback. That is, to me, that is how you handle a situation like that because they won me over with that. When you hear the CEO sign his name on an apology to kind of the industry, um, kudos to them for that. I'm not going to, I would never criticize them for that. They were very transparent about it. And sorry, I don't know, Brian. Oh, no. I think they have an opportunity with this. They can look at it. Yes, they have the apology out here. Great. They have an opportunity now to revamp the entire way they do it because everyone is looking for a different way. So you don't have to do it the way they've always done it. Think when DVRs came out, Nielsen's rating, all the networks and things didn't look at DVR playbacks in their ratings. They just looked at live until the point where your ratings can almost double or triple overnight if you include your like three-day to five-day playback period on DVRs. If they can figure out a way to incorporate a streaming component across any of these streaming platforms, you have Peacock, Paramount+, Plus, Netflix, you name, there's so many, Hulu. If you can incorporate that in there across the oh, this played on ABC, but it's also on the ABC app and on Hulu and this, and you had DVR. If you can give combine all those to give me a metric, I can see that the network's coming back. Okay, yeah, this is what I want. I want to be able to tell yeah. how popular is this show because right now you kind of guess. Yeah, it's a good point. Yeah, good point. And I'll add one other kind of topic on this is that maybe they need a competitor. So, right. Nielsen and IRI have kind of gone back and forth for forever on the <laughs> shopping receipt, right? They both capture receipt data, and that is very powerful data, actual shopper data. And then Numerator came along, and Numerator was a very modern technology to capture receipt data. And you know, you take pictures of a receipt, and they can they use technology to get really granular with what you buy, and. I think that kind of pushed Nielsen and IRI to modernize it. Maybe Nielsen needs a competitor in this kind of space of how people watch television, how they view ads, and all of the things you just mentioned, Brian, on the different platforms and devices. 
maybe there's a niche for there's an opening for that. It may exist. I'm just unaware of it, but I think there is. Yeah, I agree. The competition will breed innovation. Yes. So but anyway, this is interesting story mm-hmm. um, that I think this resonates even with like the normal, like my mom, she, you know, she understands the Nielsen, they, how they capture audience measurement and things like that. It kind of resonates outside of the kind of the nerd people of our industry. <laughs> Very true. And Brian, I've told you before, I find that the like TV tracking and all that super interesting. I've only yeah. got to do it once. I want to say it was about 10 years ago and it was still the paper version. Like yeah, they fill still in the, the diaries. Yep. Um, I've done the diary as well. And it's hard to do. You know, you just kind of keep it by on your coffee table and, oh, I'm watching Family Feud now, <laughs> you know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, I think they still do that at some level. We need more Family Feud discussions, by the way. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Next up, SMR and GRBN have published new global guidance for the fair usage of data. It sets out ethical standards for the for data use by members and aims to provide support to organizations and individuals who work with data on a regular basis. So, I mean, this this kind of came a little bit out of nowhere. I didn't know this was coming. Usually, I, I know that I have a heads up that this is coming. But I mean, kudos to SMR and GRBN and leading in this area. We needed this. Um, we need to understand more ethical standards of how to use data. And I mean, the main thing is offering support to um, researchers and companies who work with data. There's all these privacy laws going on. We talk about it a lot, both on the podcast. We talk about it internally. We talk about it with our quality council all the time to try to stay on top of this. And so the first publication, which is around data collection guidance, is, is really good. Um, so I would encourage people, everyone listening to this should probably learn more about this um, because this is a big deal. And, you know, privacy privacy, and other regulatory legislation is not going away. If anything, it's going to get more complicated over the next year, um, especially in the U.S. where we don't have a national law and I don't see one coming anytime soon. Understanding all this, at least we have some standards to try. We're all kind of playing on the same playing field. That's the main thing I'm getting out of this. Yeah, that was. Um, I knew we would be aligned, uh, Lammy, on on our on this topic specifically because I I think we've had some pretty candid conversations just you know off the cuff in the office water cooler conversations around this you know yeah this type of um, these types of of just like like you said just regulatory legislation and it's an to me this is an absolute no brainer like necessity if you will for our industries we've got the wants and the needs this is a need. Um, it's awesome to see, like you mentioned, SMR, GRBN stepping up. Um, I know it's uh, just like any of the other regulatory type of legislation. It's tough to get all parties aligned, right? That's the that's the major hurdle. But quite frankly, we could use this type of leadership and guidance, uh, almost uh, like a governing body, if you will, in so many areas, so many other areas of our industry. Um, obviously when dealing with, you know, data privacy and super, super important pieces like that, it's, it's refreshing to see some, uh, some parameters put in place. Cause like I said, I, th- I think we could use this type of guidance and leadership in, in, in so many other areas, but good to see him uh, taking, taking step in the right direction for this one. And it's, it's, um, it's on the SMR website. It's free. You don't have to be an SMR um, member. The project team is Reg Baker Peter Milla, these are all names everybody knows, Melanie Courtright, um, Jackie Lorch, Efren Ribeiro. So, and I talk to a lot of these people all the time. It's amazing, like, 
you know, a lot of us are on lots of committees in the industry working on various things and all the same people are on lots of other committees, right? <laughs> um, but I mean, good, good job to them. I'm looking at the document now. They have lots of definitions so we can align on language and things like that. That's huge. Just aligning on how we talk about it and the words that we use. Um, just that alone is huge. And there's, you know, another 15 pages around, you know, just kind of guidelines around it. So I mean, I'm really proud of this. And so good job for them. Yeah. I have one other thought around this more of a higher level. Do you guys see this as part of a way for the industry to push back on some of the more stringent or overreaching, we'll say data privacy laws that are either being discussed or being thought about thinking that ones that negatively impact our industry where we can go back and say, Hey, look, the, this is what we use as our guidance for our industry. You don't need to tell us this. So exclude us from this type thing. Yes. That's a great point I didn't think of is that the better we're aligned, the better that we can lobby and be advocates to align on this with all these different legislative bodies and countries. And so this is absolutely a step for that. I'm not. I don't remember them addressing that in the article or the the document, but certainly we need help with that. We really have, as far as I know, we have one advocate lobbyist in BC, and we need more. and And this is one way to kind of align on it. And I know that there's always a call for action to donate money and to to help with this from the Insights Association and probably from through SMR. So. If this is some, this is affecting all of us in the entire industry. This is so important. I'm glad you brought that up, uh, Brian. That's hopefully this will help because it's it's got to be challenging. Yeah, yeah. Can, Howard needs help. Yeah, right. I was going to say, I, I, the 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 help is the uh, the key piece. And Brian, that's a great point. I didn't think about it either, but um, certainly makes complete sense. You have to have a baseline, right? You have to have something to to be able to say, hey, here's what we're doing. Here's what we have in place. And certainly, I'm sure there's there's changes and edits and all of those pieces that, that can be made going forward. But to have something to stand, like, you know, some ground to stand on as a baseline makes perfect sense. Awesome. We got another story here. I know this is a long one today. <laughs> uh, according to a new report from the Insights Association and Opinium, the rate of poor mental health among market research professionals in the U.S. has risen in the past year. I'm going to start off by saying this is a no bleep Sherlock kind of thing, since this is it. I'm not putting the E on this episode. I'll go with that. Um, <laughs> we've all kind of been stuck in our houses dealing with a whole bunch of stuff. I get it. Overall, poor mental health just among everybody's probably risen in the past year to 18 months. So that's my comment to that. Yeah. I mean, the, the results are pretty staggering to me. It's, it's, it's a no brainer. But when you see it, and yes, yeah, it's 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 interesting and, and kind of sad. I'm sure this is this goes across all industries probably, and we're probably one of the industries that's done better than others. Imagine all the other industries that are out there that are having more challenges than us, and we're we're struggling, right? We we talked about this at the GLC conference last week, and I was surprised, and I think we put this in our blog about it that every single presentation it it could be about a product about a methodology and people always were impacted in some way by mental health. And it was just, 
it was amazing to me that everybody kind of brought it up in some way. And when we talked in person, a lot of people talked about the challenges they've had over the past year and a half. And so it was interesting to hear other people. I guess we should just assume that everybody's kind of going through a tough time, not just the people that you're closest with, right? But it was kind of interesting to see some data around it. Yeah, let me bring up a great point. Like our, we saw some struggles in our industry, but there are we are super fortunate as well. And in most cases, I mean, don't get me wrong. I know we had some some companies fold and some unfortunate things take place, but there were certainly industries outside of the market research world that that were impacted uh, much much more significantly than than our industry. But to see some of this, you know, the two percentage point increase in 2020 about uh, experiencing poor mental health to see it also found, I think it was a, I'm reading here, 10% rise in reports of exhaustion and burnout. You know, as, as BP mentioned, it doesn't come as a big surprise. Um, you know, our, the indus, insights industry as a whole has been kind of turned upside down in many different ways, but, uh, and, and really our industry is kind of built around and kind of thrives on consistency, right? And reliability, uh, yeah. you know, data, respondents, supply and demand, all of these have been anything but consistent or consistent since the um, really the end of Q1 in 2020. So I, I didn't get a chance to really dive into the numbers um, at a deep level or at a granular level um, and some of the other insights, but I, I really look forward to reading a little bit more about it. I also love Melanie's message around, you know, really just like, what's the takeaway? Just reminding leaders in our industry to keep an eye on workloads, balancing, you know, taking time off, all of those pieces you know, it's easy to get distracted and turn a blind eye to those types of pieces and those those important pieces, I should say, when you're trying to make up for a year where potentially, you know, you're trying to make up for some revenue that was lost. Yeah, and we, we've talked about this recently that I think the first six months of the pandemic, we all kind of checked on each other a lot, right? We were so hypersensitive to all the challenges. And then I'm not sure how prevalent this was. I felt like we kind of got into a routine and we almost kind of let it go. Maybe not everyone, but I think that generally we stopped focusing as much on checking on people and mental health and stuff. And like, I mean, I'll just I'll just tell this story on a personal level. I was having a rough time a few weeks ago and Jason, you called me and the only thing you wanted to talk about was just checking on me, right? Yeah. And I don't know if you just recognize it. I was stressed or if someone had told you or I'd blown up on something, you know, we've all done that. And you just calling and saying, I don't care about all these other nine questions, work-related questions that we have with each other. I'm just calling to check on you personally. How are you doing? And like, I remember taking just a big sigh and it was just refreshing to someone to do that. So I would encourage people to do that is to take a second out of your day and check on your coworkers and not just your coworkers, your family and your friends. And because, you know, we all, this is our careers, all three of us on this podcast, and probably most of the listeners, this is our career, and we take it very seriously, and it pays the bills, and we support our family, and we get to you know, experience life with the, the fruits of these labors, but the most important thing is the mental health of what for is us and our family. We're doing marketing research, and in most cases, the, the, end isn't gonna, the world isn't going to end if we're you know, an hour late on proposal, or you know, I don't have a report to deliver on time, so... That, that's my personal story, and hopefully that this touches someone. I don't know. We didn't we didn't expect to talk about this at this level, but I thought I'd share that. No, that's a no. that's a great start. Sorry, BP, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to say that's a that's an awesome story, Brian, and I'm glad I could be a part of that. And you know, it, it 
It's so true. And I, I will say that that is, I've said this a million times, probably on the podcast, even before it is one of the good things probably that came out of, you know, I'm, I'm pretty glass half full person. And one of the silver linings is coming out of, out of some, an experience or, you know, a scenario playing out like COVID and all the impacts that it had on the industry and different working environments. I mean, all of that, if, if anything, it brings a little bit more, um, a human level to everybody and seeing bit, you know, it's not just, oh, I'm talking to client X. It's, oh, that's, you know, Ron or that's Sarah or that's John. You know, that's an actual human being. And to see them in their, you know, real life environments, um, I think it's exposed a little bit of, of, of humility and humanity, if you will. Uh, yeah. that's, that's much needed. So it was refreshing to say the least. And you mentioned uh, Melanie Courtright. She's really led on this. She, uh, there were, there, she routinely posts mental health tidbits and to take a deep breath and to do this. And, you know, there's our old friend on the podcast, um, Adam Jolly is a podcaster on mental health. And um, so there has been some other steps taken. There's probably a million podcasts out there around mental health and how to relax and how to get through this, but that's one that's more in- industry related. And I thought I mentioned that as well. That's probably a good time. Yeah. I'll kind of end this, wrap this up with more of a PSA that, not only check in on people if you need to, but if you personally need, think you need some help, go get it. Talk to a mar- uh, mental health professional. Not everyone is as lucky as to live with one like I do. So <laughs> last up, the 2021 insights in analytic analytics market and top 10 or top 50 report came out. Um, kind of some high level findings was that the revenue for the industry grew about 4% to 48 billion in 2020, despite the pandemic and perform that performance was thanks to double digit increases posted by companies operating in three sectors. They described them as the self-service platforms, the enterprise feedback managements and consulting. What do you guys think? I'll, I'll stay really high level at first. Um, I'm glad that this report has been continued. Um, it's a 48-year history. It's, it was originally the Hanna Michael. Jack Hanna Michael did this forever, and then it's kind of changed a little bit to the Gold Report, and now to this. And kudos for Michael Brereton, who I don't know. He works at Michigan State University, and he kind of took it over this year. And this is a beast. This is a giant report. It ha- it's got to be like almost impossible to compile. Um, in terms of the report itself, it's a little bit different at the beginning, but I love, like, I particularly love slides or pages 14 and on where it's a little bit more traditional and it talks about, you know, it's, it's kind of rank ordering in terms of revenue, all of our um, market research, um, you know, suppliers, and then it does a deeper dive into it. I love reading that. I love, I love reading to see how much people have grown and I know a lot of them are public companies, but a lot of them are private companies and you kind of have to guess or have inside information. But, you know, I love, especially 14 on. Yeah, I would probably, I would echo that, Brian. Like I, I get in, it's, this is one of those, I mean, we've got a lot of, you know, annual reports, right. And some of them, I don't know, have kind of lost their luster over the years, but this is one that I absolutely look forward to every year and have to read it. Sometimes it catches me off guard, like, oh man. The new, you know, I, I still call it the Hanna Michael, but <laughs> the new, you know, the top 50s out. That's a, let's go take a look and see what's changed. Right. And it's um, I, I will say, aside from being completely biased. So aside from the sample landscape report, this is my number one report. 
Okay. <laughs> um, our friends Nielsen, which we talked about earlier, it's um, they're still number one at six billion over six billion. That's a B in two, 2020 worldwide revenue with over 10,000 employees. Um, so that's interesting. The ones at the top kind of stayed the same, at least on slides 14 on. Uh, for the most part, I'm surprised at some movement from Ipsos and um, Kantar. But um, generally, this is really hard to do, and it's really informative. Even if it's a, different, a little bit of a different format than the past, you'll learn a ton just by reading this report. So always encourage you to um, download and read this. Yeah, I, w- I will say to get a little bit in the weeds, I was I was very intrigued by the amount of t- t- like unfamiliar faces and some of the fam- that, that are now included on the list and some of the familiar faces that have dropped off. I'm not going to name drop anybody and throw anybody under the bus, but it was pretty interesting. I mean, we follow it obviously on an annual basis. So we see the churn and we see the folks that are popping up new or, pop, you know, Maybe they've, they've been on there a while or, you know, so on and so forth, or the people that fall off. And I was really intrigued by the number or the amount of change, I'll say. I won't say churn, but the amount of change that took place across the entire top 50. Obviously, Lammy, you mentioned top 10 is is pretty pretty standard. Maybe one or two bounce out or up or down a little bit. But um, the rest of that, so maybe maybe 11 through 11 through 50. Um, a lot more change than than I remember anyhow from from previous years. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I'm looking through it now. Only a few with, are founded in the last 10, 15 years. So it's still kind of an old guard kind of shifting around, at least how this is being measured. Um, you have IQVIA founded in 2016, but they've been at the top of the list for a few years, depending on you classify them. And Informa, Financial Intelligence, they're a newer company. Beyond that, these are a lot of blue bloods. It's a lot of companies that are, some of them that are 30, 40, 50, 60, or older years old. So it really kind of gets to the heritage of our industry. We have a lot of companies that have just survived and thrived and prospered for so long. Nielsen founded in 1923 and Gartner, 1972, Ipsos, 75, Westat, 63, ICF, 69, NPD, 66, GFK, 1934, J.D. Power, 1968, <laughs> um, Gallup, 1935. I could keep going. Um, I don't. I doubt there's another industry that the kind of blue bloods of the industry have just kind of been ruling the day. I mean, look at any other technology-based industry, and it is completely flipped, right? And ours, it is, it is really the same companies year in, year out. And I've just found that really interesting. Yeah, I did. Now that I'm looking at that, like I, I didn't, I just kind of skipped over the year founded. And you are absolutely right. So, I mean, it's it, it literally outside of IQVIA and Informa, there's really nobody. I mean, those two are 2016. But beyond that, I mean, you've got to go back, you know, 10 years almost to find another company. That's That's very interesting. Wow. And I wonder if it's all the mergers and acquisitions, you know, the we talk about Schlesinger acquiring things. We talk about Nielsen making acquisitions and Ipsos and Kantar. And it might take the new um, Sir Martin Sorrell company to the newest company <laughs> that once they enter this, which at some point they will if they keep making acquisitions. I think it's you have all this technology coming in and then old blue bloods just buying it up. Right. And I 
that's my theory at least, but I haven't really thought about it until just now either. Yeah, no, that's a good theory. That makes sense. I don't, I, by the way, I left off Maru. They were 2016 as well. So, um, but yeah, I mean, looking at Naxian from 1911, I mean, yeah, that's just, <laughs> yeah. that's wild. That's that you're right. There's a lot of M&A going on, um, which is good. I mean, that's good for the industry. You want, you know, you need blue bloods and I, but I would, I would argue this on your side there is take a look at another industry and, I'd, I'd be shocked if it was this, um, I don't know, maybe the financial industry is similar, but, uh, yeah. you know, outside of that, I don't know. It, it seems like, it seems like there would be more newcomers, if you will. Right. Interesting though. I would, you know, it's free to download, go out, download it, read it. Let us know if you have any thoughts. All right. That concludes all of our news for this week. We did have to catch up on like two weeks of it, so. Awesome. Yeah, that was a lot. 40 minutes. Man, if you're still listening now, we really appreciate it. You should call in Texas and say, hey, I'm still listening um, because that was a lot. Um, As always, we thank you for listening and the feedback we love. And Jason, awesome. Always good to have you on. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to the next one already. All right. Thanks, everybody. Have a good week. Thanks, guys. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.